Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. The title tonight is The Branch of Righteousness. The Branch of Righteousness. After chapter 22 last week, which had the harshest judgment in the Bible against Coniah, also known as Jehoiachin, there is now light at the end of a very dark tunnel. So let's begin with chapter 23, verse 1. And it says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Now in the King James, the word shepherds is, is pastors. It's the same, uh, the same meaning, same word. Uh, but the shepherds are not pastors. Jeremiah will, will, will speak about the religious rulers later on. They're, I shouldn't say they're, they're not pastors, not preachers. These shepherds, these pastors uh, were not preachers, but they were shepherds. They were overseers of the people. Jeremiah is going to speak about these religious uh, leaders uh, later on, these rulers later on. Here, the pastors refer to the kings, the politicians, the people who are ruling, the ones who are responsible for the laws of the land. God says to them here in verse 1, Woe to them. Verse 2, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds or pastors who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil things that you're doing, says the Lord. Now God said he was going to judge them, and he did. And now the good news comes in verses 3 and 4. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their foals, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. So God says the day is coming when I intend to take over. And when I do, the poor are going to be taken care of. And this refers specifically to the Jews returning to their land after the present time period here has closed and the church has been raptured. At that time, the king, Jesus, who they once rejected, will compassionately place over them faithful shepherds. It will be a totally different kind of government from what we have in the world now. Verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness, the Lord to sit canoe. There's a coming day in David's family, a coming king that is in David's family line. The king, Coniah or Jehoiachin and all of his line are going to be rejected. And they're going to be cut off, though they're in David's family line. But no one can destroy God's purpose. The king is still going to come. Even though they might think they can destroy God's purpose, God knows what he'll do. And we know from the New Testament that another line, the line of Nathan, another son of David, came from that line, a peasant girl by the name of Mary from Nazareth 
who gave birth to Jesus, this king, the Messiah. And that's what this king that this prophecy is referring to, referring to King Jesus, the Messiah. When Jesus introduced himself to the world in Matthew 4, 17, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, you can't have a kingdom without a king, right? So in reality, Jesus was saying to the people, your king is here. The one you've been looking for, the one you've been waiting for. But the people rejected their king. But he had the last word. He said that someday the king would come back and set up that kingdom. But righteousness is going to characterize that kingdom when the Lord Jesus Christ reigns. And in verses 5 through 6, Jeremiah compared the present corrupt leaders with the coming Messiah, the perfect king, Jesus, who would come from David's family line to reign over Israel. And in verse 5, it says, the king is called a branch of righteousness. Why? Because he would spring up from those left of David's family fallen dynasty. And this new growth, this branch, will have God's own characteristics. Like the Creator, the branch is going to be righteous. Verses 7 and 8. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. So this is one of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible. The oldest religious holiday celebrated today is the Jewish Passover. And no matter whether the Jews are, are Reformed or Orthodox, they remember the Passover. Because it's the celebration of the miraculous deliverance of the Jews out of Egypt when the death angel passed over the Israelites and spared them from death. Now, listen to what God is saying. Here he's saying, the day is coming when I will bring them back. That is the Jews. I will bring them back into their land and they will forget the deliverance out of Egypt. And they're going to remember this new deliverance, which I intend to bring about. And that's because this new deliverance is going to be so wonderful and so magnificent. Obviously, God is not through with the nation of Israel yet. He still has this in store for them. What God said in Jeremiah 14, 14 sums up this whole section. In 14, 14 of Jeremiah, he said, The prophets prophesy lies, prophecy lies in my name. I have not sent them. I have not commanded them. I have not spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Now, Jeremiah focuses on three things in these false prophets' lives that were especially wicked. First of all, one of the first things that, where they were especially wicked was their disgraceful behavior. And their disgra uh, disgraceful behavior is covered now in verses 9 through 15. Let's look at verse 9. He goes on to say, My heart within me is broken, notice, because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. Jeremiah was so bummed out over what he saw going on with the religious leaders in that day, his day. He says, man, my heart is broken 
because of these false prophets. He says, and my bones tremble. He says, I stagger like a drunkard, like somebody who's overcome uh, by wine because of the holy words that the Lord has spoken against them. True prophets know how serious it is to be called by God. And they accept the responsibility of the call with fear and trembling. Because it's not a lightweight thing to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to serve you. And when the true prophets see these self-made prophets living like sinners, it grieves them. So it's no wonder that Jeremiah had a broken heart and he trembled like a drunk man to see the way these false prophets were lying and not consulting in the Lord and telling people things that God didn't tell them. Because Jeremiah recognized what the false prophets were doing to the people and to the land, and it made him sick. And despite the curse of the drought, you know, despite what they were going through, the curse, the, the, the drought, the disasters that come with the drought. If you have a drought, you have no rain, you can't grow crops, that means you can't grow any food, you can't survive. So, again, because of the false prophets and what they were doing to the people in the land, you know, and dis, in spite of the curse, with the disasters that, that the drought came, the people were still immoral and they weren't ashamed about the way they were living. Verse 10. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil and their might is not right. He says the land is full of adulterers. This disgraceful behavior. The false prophets... God's supposed, they were committing adultery and they were filling the houses of prostitution. Listen to what Jeremiah said back in chapter 5, verse 7 from the New Living Translation. He says, how can I pardon you? He says, even your children have turned from me. They have sworn by gods that are not gods at all. I fed my people until they were full, but they thanked me by committing adultery, notice, and lining up at the brothels. The life that they were living was a hopeless evil. And where Jeremiah, when Jeremiah saw these terrible conditions, he was overtaken with grief. Verse 11. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. Jeremiah didn't waste any time getting to the real cause of the situation. He says, man, both prophet and priest are profane. The word profane means in a, in, a, in a moral sense. They were immoral. They were profane. They were blasphemous. In other words, they were unholy. And they were disobeying God's commands. And then, after all that, they'd go to the temple and they'd pretend to worship God. These men who were supposed to reverence God and, and, and reverence everything that was holy, they were guilty of blasphemy. And and, and Jeremiah says, and God says through Jeremiah, I have seen the despicable things they're doing right here in my own temple. They've handled the sacred things, the holy things. They've handled them disrespectfully. Listen to what God expected of those called of God and those that were to handle the holy things of God in Exodus 30, verse 26 through 29. And you shall anoint the tent of meeting with anointing oil. 
and the ark of the testimony and the table of showbread and all of its utensils and the lampstand and its, and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils and the laver and its base, you shall sanctify them that they may be most holy. Everything that God used in the, in the tent of meeting, all of the utensils, for all of the, the worship services were to be anointed with holy oil because they were holy vessels. They were holy instruments set apart for the use of God. And here's how that verse finishes out. And whoever and whatever touches them, that was the utensils that were to be holy, they must be holy. So the people that would use these utensils in the house of God for the worship service, these people must be holy, sanctified, that is set apart to God. Verse 12. Therefore, their ways shall be to them like slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall in them, for I will bring disaster on them the year of their punishment. Uh, I will bring the disaster on them the year of their punishment, says the Lord. The year of their punishment will be their time of judgment. The northern kingdom had been openly apostate. I mean, they had been just blatantly, publicly apostate, unfaithful to the Lord. In Samaria, the prophets had blatantly prophesied Baal. And as a result, notice what it says in verse 13. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They have prophesied by Baal and caused my people, uh, Israel, to err. He says, my people, he says, they, they worshiped Baal. The prophets blatantly prophesied by Baal. Baal was the God that they were going to. And as a result, he says, those prophets caused my people, Israel, to err. And this was the basic cause of Israel going into exile. But Judah was even a lot more wicked than Israel. The prophets in Jerusalem, they were guilty of the most wicked kind of sins. Look at verse 14 now. Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. These prophets, they, they went to Baal as their God. They, they committed adultery. They, they did all of these wicked things. And yet these prophets proclaimed the word of the Lord. They would go out and say, this is the word of the Lord. And they would, they would proclaim it with great boldness. Now the words here in verse 14, a horrible thing, where God says you know, in verse 14 that, that he has seen a horrible thing. This could refer to this... Uh, uh, it, um, otherwise, it, it, this, this was in the eyes of God and the prophets who condemned them. What they did in worshiping idols, all right, this is used to describe their, their hypocrisy, their apostasy, this horrible thing, and their lack of interest of the Israelites. It shows all of that. This is what he's saying by, well, I've seen a horrible thing. What they did in worshiping idols and prophesying falsely were horrible, truly horrible things in the eyes of God. And also the prophets who condemned them. It was a horrible thing in their eyes. The words a horrible thing could also refer to the sin of sodomy. Since Jerusalem is compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. The capital city of Judah was a cesspool of moral depravity. And worst of all, 
All these religious leaders seem to be permanently settled in their ways. Because it says there in verse 14, notice, no one turns back from his wickedness. They wouldn't turn back from their wickedness. Verse 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and I will make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, profaneness has gone out into all the land. This is the Bible's way of saying that their end is going to be filled with disaster and sorrow. God says, I'm going to feed them with bitterness. I'm going to give them poison to drink. And it's because of Jerusalem's prophets. They have filled the land with wickedness. The prophets of Jerusalem, who should have been examples of godliness and everything that's praiseworthy, even from them, who should have been godly and who should have been praiseworthy, even from them, it says profaneness, that is blasphemy, came, coming from them went out throughout all the land. Nothing perverts a nation more than the indulgence of its leaders. You know, their, their own doing, indulging in themselves, indulging in whatever they want to indulge in. The second wicked thing in the false prophets that angered the Lord was their dishonest message covered in verses 16 through 32. So let's begin with verses 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. Notice, they make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Notice the the boldness, the audacity of these false prophets. These false prophets persisted in prophesying peace was going to come to the people. But God doesn't accept them or the message that they're giving the people. Today, there are dreamers who are talking about how they are going to bring peace to the world. And all of them, are, they're all talking the same old line. God says, you won't do it. Why? Because you can't do it. God said through Isaiah in Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. The problem isn't that the people don't want peace. We do want peace. The world wants peace. But the trouble is that the heart of man is desperately wicked. The heart of man is not at peace apart from Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. We don't even realize how bad we really are. We think we know who we are and what we are capable of doing and not doing. But we don't really know. Because Jeremiah said, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Wicked men in power today can't bring peace to this earth. If they could, think about it. If they could bring peace, it would be a contradiction to what God's word says. God would be a liar or he'd be mistaken. You see, that's why the Father had to send us the Prince of Peace. And we're moving towards that day when, you know, we celebrate as the birth of Christ. And it says, And that day for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace. Goodwill toward men. Luke 2, 11 and 14. Jesus came because he is the Prince of Peace. God had to send us the one who will bring us peace one day. Now God turns to the religious leaders and rulers in verse 18. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? This verse is connected with verse 16. When he says, don't listen to the words, again, of the prophets who prophesy uh, to you. Because again, in verse 18, have they stood in the counsel of the Lord? For who of them, these counselors, or these prophets, who of them have stood in the counsel of the Lord? Where did they get their message? Who have they talked to? It tells us why the people weren't to listen to the false prophets. Because the false prophets did not get their counsel from God. He says in verse 18, who of you, speaking of the false prophets, who of you, the false prophets, who of you have stood in the council of the Lord? Who have stood with me and talked? He says that you are so confident. You haven't talked to me. You haven't gotten my counsel. And yet what you speak to the people, you speak so confidently. You deliver this message, your message. I didn't give it to you. You deliver this message with so much self-assurance and self-confidence, but you haven't talked to me about it. You haven't talked to God about the things you are telling the people. No, you never even thought about whether it was agreeable to me or not. Whether it will go along with the honor of His holiness and justice to let sinners go unpunished. He was preaching good news to those who were living wicked lives instead of the the, the message of God that they had to repent and turn from their sins. He says, you haven't perceived and heard his word. Jeremiah goes, you haven't perceived and heard his word. Nor have you compared this, what you're speaking to the people. You haven't compared it with the scriptures. If you had taken notice of that and of the constant meaning of it, you would have never delivered such a message. Even the prophets themselves have to test the spirits by the standard of the law that is the word of God and of the testimony. As well as those that who are prophesied to. Not only does the prophet have to test his words or or. or or his words be supported by the word of God, those that he speaks to, they need to double check and make sure that what he's preaching is the word of God also. But Jeremiah says, which of the prophets that prophesied did that? Which of the prophets went to seek the counsel of the Lord to see if God agreed with what they were saying to the people? Because they didn't stand in God's counsel nor hear his word is proved afterwards. Look at verse 19. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The people are warned. Hey, don't give these false prophets any credit. Even though they flatter you with hopes of not being punished, they keep saying, oh, don't worry, you're going to be okay, everything's going to be peaceful. You know, he flattered them with hopes of that, that they wouldn't be punished. God's judgment would definitely fall on them unless they repented. 
The false prophets are going to learn that God's word will stand. And not theirs. God's word will make you serious. But the false prophets make you hopeless. And fill you with empty hopes that will fail you in the end. They tell you, hey, no evil is going to come upon you. But listen again to what God says in verse 19. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind, and it will, notice, it will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The false prophets tell you, hey, everything's going to be calm, everything's going to be peaceful. But God says to you, hey, there's a storm coming. There's a whirlwind of the Lord that's coming. And he's sending it so no one's going to be able to be able to stand up against it. It's a whirlwind of God's wrath. And it's gone out, Jeremiah says, powered by God. A wind that comes from God. So it's going to be a terrible whirlwind. That, and it says here, notice, will fall violently on the head of the wicked and they aren't going to be able to escape it or find any protection from it. You cannot hide or escape from the judgment of God. It will fall on the wicked prophets who deceive the people and the wicked people will be deceived who allow themselves to be deceived. A horrible storm is going to be their part of the cup of wrath to drink. This judgment is sure and it's irreversible. It is coming. Verse 20. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand perfectly. God is about to pour out his holy anger on his sinful people. And when they finally understood his purposes, it's going to be too late to stop the whirlwind. Verse 21. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. He's already said you can't trust the rulers. They can't bring you peace. They ignore the poor. Now God says that he didn't send this bunch of prophets that were willing to fill the land in that day. God says the message that they give, it didn't come from me. God rejected both the political rulers and the religious rulers. Look at verse 22. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, notice, then they would have turned them away from their evil, turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. If they had been willing to listen to my counsel, God says, they could have known the true word and save both themselves and the nation. Verse 23 and 24. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in the secret places? So shall I not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? God is just blown away and he's frustrated by the stupidity of these false prophets. The meaning of verse 23 is, do they think I'm a limited God? Am I a God who's only close by? He says, no, I'm, far, I'm close by and I'm far away at the same time. Can anybody hide from me? Can they find a secret place to, to hide from me? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth? He's omniscient. He's everywhere. I'm sorry, I'm my present. He's everywhere. All the time. You can't hide from him. They act as if their sins are hidden from God. 
But God is totally aware of all along, He's totally aware all along of the lying conceit of these men. Verse 25. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. They used dreams. The false prophets used dreams to spread their lies. Now, dreams was an acceptable way of revelation for centuries, for a long time. But these false prophets had used dreams to, to, to spread their own gospel, if you will, to meet their own needs. And as a result, they distorted God's character. Verses 26 through 28. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor, as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord. Jeremiah insists that the dream and the word of God must be clearly recognized. Because chaff, which are the dreams, has nothing to do with the wheat, which is the word. The chaff and the dreams are not to be blended together. A true word from God is known by the divine power that comes with its preaching. Verse 29. He says, Is not my fire, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Here Jeremiah compares the message of the false prophets, which is chaff, with that of the true prophets, which is the wheat. The false prophets flattered their hearers with promises of peace. The true prophets they speak a firm but powerful word that burns like a fire and crushes like a hammer the lord says his word is like fire that burns in the heart of man and like a a hammer that breaks hard hearts verse 30 therefore behold i am against the prophet says the lord who steal my words everyone from his neighbor liberal theologians teach things that aren't truly the word of god So they're basically stealing it out of the hearts. By not speaking the true word of God, they're stealing the word of God out of their hearts. And they're wrecking the faith of the believers. And God says, hey, I'm going to do something about it one day. And that day of judgment is coming, and that time is going to come, and I am going to judge the religious leaders. Verse 31, the false religious leaders. Verse 31. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says. God is against the false prophets because they prophesy false dreams. Pretending, they, they pretend that these dreams that they're having have been given by divine inspiration. But these dreams that they make up is only their own imagination, their own, their own inventions. It's a terrible scam. That, that God's not going to let them get away with. It's not going to be excused. If people are going to be deceived, all right, let them. It's their own fault because they don't test the spirits. But it's much more the prophet's fault if they cause God's people to err by telling them lies and taking God's word lightly. First John 4.1, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. God disowns the false prophets. He says, hey, they're not my prophets. He said, I didn't send them. 
nor did I command them. They are not my messengers. And what they tell you, what they say, it's not my message. So God justly denies his blessing on them so that they won't be of any benefit to the people whatsoever. God says, hey, they're not my people. They can't benefit you. They can't do anything for you. They don't profit the people. They not only do them, they, they not, only, uh, not only do they not do them any good, but they do them a great deal of hurt. And then in closing, in verses 33 through 40, we see the third wicked thing uh, that, that God has charged them with, and that's their, dispe- their disrespectful attitude. Look at verses 33 through 40. So when these people, or the prophet or the priest, ask you, saying, What is the oracle of the Lord? You shall then say to them, What oracle? I will even forsake you, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man in his house. Thus, every one of you shall say to his neighbor and everyone to his brother, what has the Lord answered? And what has the Lord spoken? And the oracle of the Lord you shall mention no more. For every man's word will be his oracle. For you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, What has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the oracle of the Lord, therefore thus says the Lord, Because you say this word, the oracle of the Lord, and I have sent to you, saying, Do not say the oracle of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you and forsake you and the city that I gave you and your fathers, and I will cast you out of my presence, and I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. Instead of caring, instead of them carrying on, taking care of them like a patient father, Instead of, I should say these false prophets, instead of them carrying you like a patient father, he says, I'm going to cast you off like a troublesome load. God warned Jeremiah, don't encourage the careless attitude of the priests, the people, and the false prophets when they asked him, what is the oracle of the Lord? Or what is the troublesome burden of the Lord that he's put on you now? It means the burden of the message that the Lord places on his prophets. What is the troublesome message or the burden that God has placed on the prophets now? The phrase burden of the Lord was almost a cliche. And it was used to poke fun at God's true prophets when they would tell the truth. Okay, what heavy thing has God put on you now? What burden has he loaded onto you now? Why should the false prophets ask for an oracle from the Lord? When Jeremiah had already told them what God wanted them to hear. If they hadn't obeyed what God already commanded, why should he tell them more? If we, if we, don't, do, you know, if, if we don't do the things that God tells you, he's not going to reveal any more knowledge to us. Why should he if we don't obey? Their attitude towards God's message was careless and it was disrespectful. And they weren't taking God's message or messenger seriously. So the false prophets had distorted the truth to make it mean what they wanted it to mean. And then they called their messages the oracles of the Lord. And again, they'd say to the true prophet, hey, what heavy burden, what oracle, what burden, what message has God put on you now? So again, the false prophets distorted the truth to make it, again, what they wanted it to mean. And yet they called their messages the oracles of the Lord, the burden of the Lord. Jeremiah was to tell them, you're the burden. (laughs) You're the burden. The Living Bible says it well. Verse 33, it says, 
when one of the uh, when one of the people or one of their prophets or priests asks you well jeremiah what is the sad news from the lord today you shall reply what sad news you're the sad news for the lord has cast you away you see the church isn't taking god's word seriously at a time when the world is in very serious trouble so important, man, that we stick to the Word of God. We tell the true Word of God because that's what the world needs to hear desperately. They're hearing so much untruth. They're being told so many lies. They're so Things so contrary to the Word of God. And you know what? They just stare and listen like the deer in the headlights. Okay, it must be true because such and such leaders said so, doctor so-and-so says so, the scientists say so, and so it's got to be right on. You know, what happened to thus says the Lord? We're listening to thus says the doctor, thus says the scientist, thus says the president, thus says, uh-uh, thus says the Lord. We have to keep that in mind. Father, we thank you so much for this chapter, Father, and, and Lord... You are God. You are truth. And Father, we need to keep focused upon you. Lord. May we keep our eyes on you. May our ears be in tune to your words, Lord. And may our, may our hearts be open to the truth of God. So Father, we thank you for your word, for it is the truth. It is the message. And Lord, may your spirit open the message to us, God. And Father, may we again hear what the spirit has to say to the church father we thank you and it's in jesus name we pray amen all right uh sunday morning we'll be back in